3: From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. With Thanksgiving just around the corner and the pandemic at lower intensity than last year, many people are preparing to go visit beloved family and friends. Travel can be anxiety-producing, but for plus-size travelers, there are additional costs, complications, and considerations. Seat width variations on planes, belt extenders, two small hotel beds. As companies try to squeeze ever more dollars out of their planes and buildings, many people with larger bodies find themselves more uncomfortable and subject to demeaning conditions. We'll share experiences and talk about what could change. That's next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Most people love seeing new places and old friends. But for plus-size travelers, it can be a dehumanizing experience, navigating stairs and glares and accommodations not built for their bodies and comfort. According to the CDC, about 74% of adults in the U.S. are overweight, yet this majority isn't reflected in the travel industry's norms. We're joined today by Bay Area native Annette Richmond, who founded the online community Fat Girls Traveling, which is dedicated to advancing more inclusive travel experiences. Welcome to the show, Annette. We're so glad to have you.
5: Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be able to talk with people in my hometown. <laughs> yeah.
3: We're also joined by Tigress Osborne, chair of the National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance. Welcome, Tigress.
2: Good morning. I'm calling in from Phoenix today, but I spent 22 years in the Bay and um, came into my activism in Oakland.
5: So hi, Bay Area.
3: Oh, wow. All right. I'm in Oakland as we speak. (laughs) Um, Annette, uh, I wanted to ask you how you found yourself doing this work. Specifically, I wanted to hear about a viral post that you made about traveling while fat and black.
5: Yeah, that was probably one of the first posts that I wrote that just accepted the term fat. And that was one of the first posts that went viral that I wrote about traveling as a solo fat black female. Um, Basically, the way that I, the, the thing that inspired me to create fat girls traveling was the fact that I had been traveling all over the world, Europe, Asia, the US, and I saw plenty of other travelers that looked like me, But when I would go online to search uh, questions that I had about, you know, size or weight restrictions or how many stairs, you know, a destination had, or if an elevator might be available, I was never able to find that information out. And Mm so that motivated me to create a community where I could share from the traveling that I had done and answer any questions that people like me had similar questions to. Or I could also search and have my questions answered by other travelers who had already visited the places that I was looking to go.
3: Yeah. Tigris, tell me about the history of your organization. As I understand it, it kind of has a very deep history.
2: Yes, we, we are in our 52nd year as a fat rights um, and fat support organization, Um, you know, started in that summer of 69 when so many important social justice movements were, were starting and building and continuing. And, um, and we, uh, we serve you know, members and participants all over the United States and often have a lot of interest from folks in international settings as well. And we, um, you know, we just do our work through advocacy, education, support, um, and we've been using the word fat since the beginning. So it's one of the things that is, uh, that makes us revolutionary.
3: Yeah, because I guess that is one of the things people use, maybe what would be called euphemisms or other ways of talking about it. Why is it important to just say fat?
2: Um, we, as an organization, and many of our other sibling organizations and individual ap- activists, just really believe that the only way to destigmatize the word "fat" is to use the word "fat" as a regular adjective, simply describing a thing that our bodies are. Hmm.
3: You know, we want to play a montage of, of voices of plus-size travelers, of fat travelers, sharing their experiences on airplanes. It's a bit longer than the cuts we usually play, so for our audience, you know, just stick with it. It's really worth it. The voices were featured in a 2016 viral video animation titled Flying While Fat by London-based fat activist and animator Stacey Bias. Let's listen in. So, I love to fly. I really love flying. And my only
6: stress
4: in relation to mine comes from interactions with other people. It's like I have a hyper-awareness of my body at all times that other people don't have to think about. They don't have to think about their space and how much or little they're taking up. And I'm always trying not to burden someone else with my body.
2: It's nerve-wracking. I have the same experiences I
6: think every fat person has, you know, walking onto the plane. When
4: the other passengers look at you and you get the expression. Being gazed at by everyone on
6: the plane who's
4: like. Hoping
1: and praying. Holding their breath and hoping that you're not coming to sit next to them. The worst that ever happened, it was this one flight. I picked the window seat, I pre-boarded so I wouldn't be in the way, and I was settled in my seat, and this woman, she was so petite, but she was still complaining about having to sit next to me, loudly. I have sat next to somebody
2: who was openly hostile about sitting next to a fat person. Even if I didn't bump into him, you know, I strained my whole body to practically pitch myself out the seat on the other side
1: guy once, like, slammed the arm down in between us, which was really painful. Somebody slamming something into the side of your body
6: hurt. And the first thing he did is want to put down the arm. And he saw that doing that was excruciating for me. And he kept pushing the arm down, which was, like, pushing into my my belly and my thigh.
1: She was, well, she was yelling at me, you know, you need to move, I'm not going to sit next to you. She called over the stewardess trying to get the stewardess to move me.
5: But he refused to even, like, sit in the seat. He, like, came down, dropped his bag in a big old huff, went swimming upstream to go loudly complain to the stewardess.
6: For him, I was just
5: a beast. Mm.
3: Again, that was a clip of the video animation Flying While Fat by London-based fat activist and animator Stacy Bias. It was people sharing their experiences flying. And we want to hear your experiences. Do you have uh, do you have experience with traveling in a larger body? How has it sort of shaped your experience of, of flying or staying in hotels? Do you have tips for other plus-size travelers? And maybe are there places you haven't traveled or activities you haven't done because of size stigma? You can give us a call now 866-733-6786. That's 866-733 6786. You can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or you can email your questions or your comments or your stories to forum at org. You know, Tigris, you pointed us uh, to this video. You pointed it out, out to our producers. And I just wanted to know what made it such a powerful artifact for you.
2: I remember the first time I saw it. And I wasn't quite as large of a, a fat lady as I am now. Um, and I was you know, I was experiencing the social parts of other customers' reactions, but I wasn't yet experiencing some of the more physical parts about needing a seatbelt extender or um, or having, you know, parts of the, the chair or armrest be uncomfortable for me or impossible for me. And so it really helped me um, as a then much smaller fat person see the spectrum of like where I was dealing with discrimination and, and especially negative attitudes from other customers, um, other flyers, but where also, you know, my peers who, my peers in the activist movement who were much larger were, um, you know, it just sort of, um, it made their experiences more, um, like I experienced it more emotionally. I had heard mm-hmm. some of their stories. I knew some of the barriers from going to conferences or working on events and, and having to think about the physical space. Um, but, but just to hear that collection of really raw and vulnerable sharing, um, and, th- and really just extreme bullying from, from other passengers uh, was really emotional, even though I already knew the facts. Yeah.
3: You know, and I'd love to hear your reaction to it. And, and I, I'm also curious, you know, we know it's not just airplanes, um, but w- why is it that air travel in particular is such a, a flashpoint?
5: Well, first, I want to thank uh, Tigris for like pointing us in that direction of that audio. That definitely touched me emotionally just to hear the vulnerability in their voices and to hear each and every single person share how they felt um, othered. It really just like humanizes that experience. And I think that if you live in a bigger body or not, just to hear those stories told so vulnerably just makes you empathize and sympathize and humanizes this experience, which I think is probably the one of the biggest things as a fat activist that I want people to recognize is that fat people are people too. And we have feelings too. And when you act as a bully on these airplanes or in public, and you try to humiliate us because our bodies are bigger than yours. Like we feel that that's hurtful. That's Mm. painful. And I think that clip beautifully demonstrated just how painful that can be in the moment. Um, For me, I've definitely experienced um, that same feeling in other situations while traveling, but I've also heard so many stories of uh, just being treated terribly on on planes. And I think that for so many fat travelers or fat people who are interested in travel, that plane step is the one thing that prevents people from actually taking that flight or taking that trip. Because we hear these horror stories, we understand the fact that we're gonna need seatbelt extenders and some people don't know that airlines actually offer seatbelt extenders. Mm -hmm. People also don't know that there are airlines that offer um, a free seat if you need more space. And so there are some companies and some airlines who are catering to 70% of the US population and, and humanizing us and relating to us and showing us that like our comfort matters, our needs matter and that we matter.
3: You know, tigers. Can I
2: one... add something to that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think, you know, what part of what moves us all so much about Stacey's video, like I'm still sitting here emotional about it and I've yeah. seen it a bajillion times, is that um, it is that human, that really, really personal aspect. And then what we have to do is take a step. Um, you know, take a step in the next direction to make the issue really larger, because we're talking about cultural and systemic issues. And we're talking about, you know, living in a country where there are very few places where people's legal rights are protected as fat people, um, you know, but where body size, height or weight, um, you know, there are very few places where that's legally protected. And part of what happens with part of what makes the stakes so high with air travel is, first of all, the cost of air travel makes people feel different about it than, say, if you don't fit the seat in the subway, which might also be true, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But also, um, it is the place where the fat person's problem becomes your problem if you're the person next to them Mm. so if i have you know if i have difficulty with something in my hotel room that doesn't affect the person in the hotel room next to me but if i have something difficulty with something on my airline seat it affects the person next to me and then i am at the mercy of their you know their compassion their willingness to share their willingness to be understanding um and and so um they direct their they're more likely to direct their anger at me than at the system
3: We're talking about the experiences of plus-size travelers with Annette Richmond, founder of Fat Girls Traveling Online Community, and Tigress Osborne, who just heard, chair of the National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance. We'll be right back.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.
3: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the experiences of travelers with bigger bodies and both the interpersonal and systemic barriers they face when traveling with Annette Richmond, founder of Fat Girls Traveling, an online community, as well as Tigress Osborne, chair of the National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance. I also want to add Jeff Jenkins, founder of the Chubby Diaries travel blog, to our conversation. Welcome, Jeff.
7: Hello, thank you so much for having me.
3: Yeah, thanks for coming on. I also want to reinvite our callers back into the show as well. Um is there a is, if you're in a bigger body, is there a positive experience you've had that you'd like to share? And if so, what what made it such a good experience? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook, we're at KQED Forum, or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. You know, Annette, when you were talking at the very top of the show, you know, you said you couldn't really find things that were, you know, about, you could find things that were about fat people or uh, maybe black people, maybe traveling as a woman, but it was the intersection of all three that seemed really difficult to find. Um, can you tell us a little bit how you how you see you know intersectionality playing into this uh, conversation?
5: I think intersectionality is such a massive part of it because I do believe that Black fat women have been marginalized um, for since the beginning of time, and especially when we're talking about marginalized communities, when we get into like Black trans fat women. You know what I mean, like. I definitely believe that there are certain societal stigmas that are associated with being black. There are certain societal stigmas that are so associated with being fat and obviously the patriarchy exists. And so when you're a combination of all three of those, it's going to be more difficult and it's, it, it's been tricky. And so that was one of the reasons why I've been, motivated to write about my experience, but also to create a community where we can talk about these experiences, share them in a safe space, and be able to just encourage each other to know that, like, it will get better. Yeah.
3: You know, Jeff Jenkins, you're a large black man in America that can't always be easy while traveling uh, domestically or, or internationally. I and mean, can you what has been your specific experience of this uh, of these phenomena?
7: Uh, For sure. Thank you for asking that question. That's a good question. Um, One of the biggest things is that there's a lot of microaggressions uh, that come out of uh, just traveling. Uh, One, just being a black man, period. uh, And I have locks. A lot of people just automatically assume I'm I'm some like rapper or thug. I I don't know what it is. It's it's, it's, it's always off-putting until I start smiling. And I almost feel like I have to smile just to make people comfortable um, just in those spaces. And then just adding the larger body, just being a larger man. I think that really, like it definitely comes off. And so uh, a lot of people know that I'm very positive and I like to be positive, but um, there's, I mean, there's a reason why I do it at times because Mm -hmm. uh, I know if I don't smile, uh, I can make people, I can see it visibly, see them uncomfortable until I start like, engaging or smiling, um, even when I'm traveling.
3: Yeah. You know, uh, Tiger Sosborn, I wanted to ask you about some of these, you know, this is sort of like the interpersonal side of things. I wanted to ask you about some of the systemic things you're trying to change with your organization, the national association to advance fat acceptance. And you've had, there's, there's been some wins here, right? Like maybe we could talk a little bit about what happened with, uh, Southwest airlines.
2: Sure, I I think it was uh, 2010 when um, director Kevin Smith um, put Southwest on blast on Twitter for a policy that most airlines at the time had, which is that if you were a customer who needed more space than the side of your seat, and airlines generally consider the um, the armrest to be the border of the seat, right? If you needed more space and there wasn't space on the plane to give you more space, they would just remove you from the flight. They would call it a danger for you to be traveling. Um, if you were taking up too much room, that was uncomfortable for the other passengers and unsafe for the other passengers. And so they'd kick you off the plane. Yeah. And and it was common for airlines to do that. Um, but when Southwest airlines did it to Kevin Smith, he of course had a much bigger platform than the lay people that they had been doing it, you know, that airlines had been doing it to for many years. And he went to uh, he went to Twitter, which was not quite the tool it is for that kind of, you know, Uh, public scrutiny as it is now, but even then in 2010, you know, Twitter had been around for a few years, it became a huge media story. Um, and, you know, NAFA protested at LAX and and called for people to boycott. And, um, but it was really that that media spotlight because it happened to a celebrity that forced Southwest to do some PR work and change their policy. And so now their policy is not perfect either. It's still, you know, expensive to fly, it still requires you, um, if you want to be guaranteed extra space to, Buy an extra seat and then wait to have it reimbursed later, uh, because they say that that's the only way they can take the seat out of inventory. But that's better than most airlines, which just make you buy the extra seat or make you buy a first class ticket, um, and you never get any portion of that back. So they really are known in fat community as having um, the the most fat friendly policy. It's you know, it's still, I fly Southwest all the time and I still run into all kinds of issues with other customers. I don't generally run into issues with their system but um but I don't generally need to buy a second seat because I carry my weight forward people who carry more of their weight sideways do mm-hmm. and so you know it was that but it was that moment like they Airlines had had those policies. People just didn't, other people didn't know about them. Only the fat people who'd been kicked off the planes knew about them mm-hmm. or who'd mm-hmm. been humiliated at the gate because a gate agent decided to not even bother to try to seat them. Mm-hmm. You just looked at them, assessed that they were too fat and told them that they um, you know, couldn't board the plane. So that was a huge turning point in terms of travel for fat folks.
3: Yeah. I want to go to uh, Deborah in Santa Rosa. Welcome to the show, Deborah. Oh, I actually think we just lost Deborah. unfortunately. Let's bring in uh, Janine from Santa Rosa. Hi there. Hi, Janine.
4: Hi. Oh, I just want to thank the speakers for being there because um, fat girls traveling has really been beneficial for me. <laughs> Ooh, sorry, I just walked up some stairs, <laughs> winded. Yeah, yeah.
3: What is it, uh, um, Janine, what's it, what's it do for you to be able to share those experiences within that community?
4: Well, it just creates, like, I mean, it's just a place of finding acceptance and most of all, information. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I'm a, I'm a therapist, too, and I kind of primarily specialize in fat issues. <sighs> yeah. And I just want to speak to, like, my clients, you know, how much emotional processing goes into even thinking about air travel. Mm-hmm.
3: Like, what What happens? They, like, they'll come in, you know, for the three weeks before a flight and just still kind of be turning it over in their mind and planning contingencies and what happens if this person says this or that happens? Is it that kind of thing?
4: Yeah, definitely. Like, I think all fat people kind of have heard the nightmares of people getting kicked off of planes or being publicly humiliated. So, you know, people... My clients even question if they want to be like with, you know, sick loved ones or at weddings or or any kind of events that, you know, might be meaningful for them. Because, you know, they have to undergo this this humiliation to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Like it just feels like, you know, traveling doesn't afford people very much dignity.
3: Yeah. Oh man. Thank you so much, Janine, for, for sharing that and you know, my my best to you and uh and to your clients as well. Thanks so much. Um, Thank you. Therese writes, commenter, listener Therese writes, I'm about 40 pounds overweight, but still fit in a coach seat on a flight. My sense is that folks should require that the airlines make seats roomier rather than asking me to fit into a smaller space because my seatmate doesn't quite fit into the coach seat. And Jeff, you know, I wanted to, to toss that comment to you because you've done some work with companies around this, right? Some consulting with, you know, coming up with some solutions for people.
7: Uh, yeah, I have. And, 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 I, at the end of the day, I always tell people, like, I, I understand, like, people, um, the three things that I feel like with Plus Size Travel that uh, the problem is or the issues or concerns usually is a lack of accessibility, um, comfort, and community. And so comfort is definitely a big thing. And I understand that for both sides, that comfort is, is one of the main things that we all want. And um, even even now... Uh, I know Tiger's just talked about this earlier, talking about just how like the, the airline policies, the people of size policies Damn. the airlines are doing. And um, I am actually just pressing uh, a lot of these uh, different airlines. I've been doing a lot of consulting uh, with different airlines and then finding innovative ways to accommodate not just the plus size person but uh, somebody else who might be uh, not a person of size and being able to accommodate them so that there isn't like any um, uh, I guess confrontation on the airlines and so being able to try to be proactive in mitigating those issues that might arise uh, at the beginning uh, of a flight and or even in the middle of the flight and so uh, yeah I've been doing a lot of that lately yeah
3: uh, Rebecca tweets, uh, thank you for doing this show. It's incredibly important to highlight how pervasive fat phobia still is in our society. It's still a very acceptable form of discrimination, especially in, quote, health conscious places like the Bay Area. And it touches us across race, class, gender, etc. I want to bring in uh, Parisa from Oakland into the conversation. Welcome, Parisa.
6: Hi, thank you so much for um, taking my call. Um, I just want to preface, I'm an Iranian um, woman. I'm a social worker. um, And um, I can totally um, empathize with the feeling of the marginalized community getting on a plane. I get such weird looks, especially if I'm with my teenage son who looks older. We often get stopped and frisked. Mm. Our bags gets checked. I really um, try to not speak Farsi on the plane. Um, so I'm very, very self conscious. And as a social worker, I'm very aware of um African American community and all the different ways that people are discriminated against. And I also want to preface that I, I, I was having a kind of a visceral reaction to this topic mm-hmm. when I turned on the radio because I was like, okay. I totally get it. And when somebody, um, a fat person sits next to me, I make myself smaller and I try to be very mindful of that. And at the same time, I am somebody who has claustrophobia. I, um, have really bad migraines. I fear flying and I have to do it a lot because I have, um, family in LA. Um, and I, I, I get resentful. I get resentful Mm -hmm. in terms of why doesn't the airline do something to accommodate us? And why Mm -hmm. does it fall on the other passenger? Despite my amount of huge empathy and compassion, I still... I'm, I'm feeling like really there needs to be more advocacy in terms of the flights being appropriate and accommodating all sizes, yeah. not as much the passengers. I just really appreciate you letting me talk about this online.
3: Hey, Parisa, I, I, I appreciate your honesty. And, you know, Tigress Osborne, you know, I think you... We're referencing this earlier in the show that it's where people or fat people's problems become other people's problems on the plane. Right. And, and that's, I'd love you yeah, to that's right. talk a little more about that.
2: Well, I mean, just think about the difference in the way that many people react when an incredibly tall person sits next to them in the plane and has to kind of fold their legs under into their area or tip sideways or something to accommodate their height. That that's a culture that like that's a interpersonal and cultural issue, right? The difference between how we feel about that tall person who's in our in our way, so to, say, so to speak, and how we feel about the fat person who's in our way. Right. But um, the, the allyship that was just demonstrated by that caller about like, I will try to make myself smaller to accommodate this other passenger is beautiful. And she's right she shouldn't have to do that either. The You know, this is a capitalism issue, right? This is, the seats are getting smaller. Um, and, you know, the seats are getting smaller and the planes are, you know, are packed. And that is something we could do differently in this multi-billion dollar industry in order to make passenger safety and comfort work, um, you know, like, work as part of the system versus work as an interpersonal issue between the two people sitting next to each other. Yeah.
3: You know, Jeff Jenkins, uh, one last question before we uh, let you get back to your life. Uh, are you hopeful that things are changing just based on your work with the companies? Do you think that you th- that when we you know, we'll be doing the show exactly the same in five years or you think that things will have gotten better?
7: I for, I for sure think things will get a lot better. Uh, with these uh, heavy hitters that's on the call right now, uh, I can tell you just the work that has been done uh, within the past few years. Uh, I, I am I'm, I'm very hopeful, and I've made it my mission to help redefine what it looks like to travel. So uh, I, I do. I have a lot of hope. Uh, I, I've, I've been hearing nonstop uh, from different execs that uh, although. They've heard about the situation, or they know what's going on. They really haven't like made it a part of them and a part of their marketing, a part of like just like how they're moving forward to be more inclusive. Uh, because I believe, like even with the Black Lives Matter things, uh, the stuff that happened last year, um, the diversity and inclusion has definitely been at the forefront with a lot of these companies, and I feel like there is a lot of uh, headway being made. Uh, so I am very hopeful in that. And, and I thank uh, Annette and Tigris for doing what they're doing right now as well.
3: Yeah, thank you, Jeff Jenkins, founder of the Chubby Diaries Travel Blog. I love watching your uh, joyful missions around the world. It's awesome. Thank you so much, Jeff. Appreciate you. Uh, Annette Richmond, you know, we've been talking a lot about planes for the uh, obvious reasons, but it's really not just about planes. What are the other kinds of things that fat travelers have to think about? Yeah,
5: that was one of the things... That uh, the last call kind of brought up for me when she said that it should be the responsibility of the airport or the, the airline. It should be the same thing when it comes to amusement parks. Like, there is a lack of accessibility for not only fat people, but for people with disabilities to be able to enjoy themselves at an amusement park. Like, those tickets are hundreds of dollars as well, they're pricey just like an airline flight. However, as a fat person, when you go to these places, you're, you feel excluded. You feel like there's opportunities and experiences that you miss out on just because you live in a bigger body. Um, also, when you're traveling, if you're doing something like a cruise and you have like daily excursions, there's going to be certain excursions that have weight limits or size restrictions like kayaking or parasailing, um, even gliding, doing like a, a glider plane has a weight limit of about 250 pounds. So there's lots of different activities that are recreational and just for fun outside of travel that I believe that it's the responsibilities of these companies to make them more accessible and to do the work so that fat people can partake. Like I like to go kayaking. I want to go hang gliding. Like, let's go. If we can make it safe, for fat people, trust me, you will get our fat dollars. Yeah. Yes, yes,
2: yes. I'm over here cheering. I, I'm, I'm trying to mute while Annette's talking, but I'm over here cheering for her. <laughs> and I just want to add that, like, also when you're traveling, all the things you would be doing in your home city that are inaccessible, like restaurants that only have chairs with 150 pound weight or, you know, or public transit that you might want to use that might not be accommodating for your body, like, all of those other things are also part of the package when you're traveling and you're doing them in an unfamiliar place. So, you know, it really is, again, like a systemic issue that goes beyond, um, you would, like, we want to be able to travel for pleasure, just like Annette just said, right? We want to be able to do all the fun stuff other people can do. And also, travel is part of commerce, it's part of our work schedules, um, as one of the other callers pointed out, it's part of, you know, family obligations and, and crisis situations, and we need to be able to move around the world in all of those situations, yeah.
3: We're talking about the experiences of plus-size travelers, both the interpersonal and systemic barriers they face, as well as the joyful experiences that people have had. We're joined by Annette Richmond, founder of Fat Girls Traveling Online Community, and Fat Camp, a Fat Girls Traveling Retreat, as well as Tigress Osborne, who you just heard, chair of the National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance. And earlier, we heard from Jeff Jenkins, founder of the Chubby diaries travel blog and of course we do want to hear from you do you have experience with traveling in a larger body you can give us a call 866-733-6786 i'm alexis madrigal stay tuned for more forum after the break
0: support for forum comes from san francisco opera
3: Welcome back to Forum. We're talking about the experiences of plus-size travelers and both the interpersonal and systemic barriers they face, as well as the joyful experiences they've had while traveling. We are joined by Annette Richmond, founder of Fat Girls Traveling Online Community, as well as Tigress Osborne Chair of the National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance. Um, you know, Tigress, I just wanted to give you a chance to address like, the, the criticism like head-on, like for people who just don't agree with what you're saying and are like, well, shouldn't people just lose weight? What do you want them to take away? What do, you, what do you? What's your
2: answer for them? Even if you are someone who firmly believes that all the fat people should lose weight, um, fat people should not be sequestered to their homes for the entire time that they're trying to. Endure that process that is probably going to fail in the long term. We all know that there's ample research that shows that most attempts at weight loss are going to be um, short term at best, uh, and are often actually going to lead to you gaining more weight as you weight cycle. Um, and so it's not realistic to just say there are too many fat people, they should just stay out of our way. Um, and also, you're going to have to come around because as fat people, you're going to have to come around or you're going to have to be the one who stays home because as fat people get more bold, get more audacious, um, um, you know, as people like Annette charge up and empower other fat people to do more traveling, to get out there and live your life, to get out there and have these adventures, you're going to find that all of those those years when we just stayed home because things weren't accommodating for us we're not doing that anymore so you're you're not going to have a choice but to get like be you can be mad about it but you're not going to have a choice but to adjust we also know that public polling shows that public support for um for legislation that protects people's rights around height and weight um is increasingly popular and even this uh this week um upcoming week on Monday in Massachusetts, a bill goes to their gi- judiciary, their um, congressional judiciary committee to be reviewed that adds weight and height to their civil rights legislation. Mm-hmm. We expect that bill to eventually pass. It's a long process in Massachusetts. There's been a lot of groundwork done by folks from eating disorders world and activists and fat activists and everyone. We expect that to probably pass. And when it does, Massachusetts will be the second state that has that kind of legislation. And we think that's going to snow. Snowball, and at NAFA in particular, we're going to work on making that snowball. So not only is the cultural mindset shifting um, for fat people and our allies who support us in getting out there and doing the things, um, there's, um, there's eventually going to be a lot more of you know government mandate that makes industry have to think about what our needs are and the realities of our bodies as they exist, not as they should or could exist in someone else's fantasy world. Yeah.
3: You know, Greg tweets, weight is not the only size issue for traveling. Height also seems to be punished. Try holding your knees bent up in economy class for eight hours, showers that hit at chest height or standing up from low furniture, especially with aging. And I did, you know, on the on the legislative score, there have been some uh, wins at the city level for you all. Right. Like in, I think, San Francisco and Santa Cruz.
2: In the Bay, it's San Francisco and Santa Cruz. Um, there are a handful of other cities in the U.S., um, and you can see the list and some more information about this on our website, NAFA.org. Um, That's two, it's two A's, under
3: N-A-A-F-A.
2: N-A-A-F-A.org, yes, thank you. Um, and, um, and we also have some information there about you know, potential pending legislation and a place where folks can sign up if they want to work on local legislation in the place where they live. So, um, you know, but as more cities, uh, you know, as we see these little dots on the map around the country grow, um, like I said, I we really expect it to snowball and we're going to try to help it snowball. Yeah.
3: Yeah. One last legislative uh, quick thing. Canada also, right, has some protections that we don't have in the United States.
2: Yes, I and I don't I won't speak to the details of that, but yes, they do. Got it. Got
3: it. Cool, cool. Um, you know, Annette Richmond, we've been talking about things we could do legislatively, you know, these kind of systemic things, but you have also taken matters into your own hands. Um, I wanted you to tell us a little bit about Fat Camp, a fat girls traveling retreat.
5: Yeah, I'd love to tell you about Fat Camp, but first I want to just thank Tigris for all the work that she's doing um, in the legal realm to advocate for fat people and fat bodies. It's so inspiring and motivating to hear all that amazing work and the things that might be passed to humanize us out here. Um, So first of all, thank you so much for that, Tigris. And everyone that's working with NAFA, that is a volunteer-led organization. So these are volunteers fighting for equal treatment for fat people. So thank you, NAFA. Thank you, Tigris. Um, I started a fun a community event called fat camp. Mm-hmm. And um, Tigris also mentioned how NAFA was the first organization to take that word fat and, and use it as an empowerment word. And that's something that's really important to me. I know that fat camps historically have this, um, they're it's like the place general- you went
3: to lose weight. Yeah,
5: exactly. Yeah. They have this connotation of weight loss camp. And so that was one thing that I wanted to like stand that, thought on its head um and create a fat camp that was actually fat positive that invited members of my fat girls traveling community to be in community with each other create these summer memories and these cat camp memories that maybe they never had a chance to create so we have pool parties every day where members are comfortable enough to like get in a bathing suit there's so many members of the community that feel uncomfortable getting in bathing suits when they are around people that have different body types. They feel so much more accepted in a, in a space where there's other people, there's other fat people celebrating their bodies, enjoying the water, enjoying the sun. And so for me, pool parties every day at fat camp, we also do campfires and paddle boarding and color war, just like all the fun things that you either experienced it camp or felt like you missed out on at camp or you went to summer camp as a kid, but didn't really uh, participate the way that you wish you could have because of maybe some insecurities. I wanted to create that experience for adults, but then also have a deeper, more vulnerable uh, section as well when we're talking about um, you know the fat phobic things that we have to deal with in our families. Um, In the medical industry, you know, when we go to the doctor, some of the horrible suggestions or things that the doctor, the nurses, the medical team will say to people, fat people, when they go in for a sprained wrist and they're told that maybe they should have weight loss surgery instead, you know, so it's an opportunity for us not only to have fun, create some fun camp memories, but to also unpack and to Feel connected to other people who experience some of the same discrimination that we endure as fat people. Yeah,
3: man, growing up as a fat kid, this is just making me so happy. I was just thinking—you think about all the all the times where you're just sort of like, "Oh, right, there's going to be swimming at this thing. I'm going to have to think about this for a month." Um, I want to hear one camper reflecting happily on this experience. Um, it is, yeah, a camper uh, from a documentary made by Vice about Annette Richmond's uh, fat camp. Let's listen.
4: I've never felt so alive
2: with other people. <laughs> There's was so much fun. I, was talking.
4: I feel like I'm present <laughs> instead of, like, overlooked. And I feel like I want to be seen instead of
5: hidden.
3: Annette, is that, you know, a pretty common reaction to uh, the experience?
5: I definitely like that touches me. I'm getting a little emotional hearing that. I, I love that video. Um, unfortunately, yeah, that is a pretty common response. Like members of the community will come to fat camp and for the first time they'll feel seen, they'll feel accommodated. Like I go above and beyond completely out of my way to try to cater this camp to all of the campers attending, like, I want to know what your favorite foods are, what you're allergic to, you know, I don't want to put anyone in danger. But I also want everyone just to shine to glow. Um, I also hire other fat people. So we have yoga every morning with a fat yoga instructor. I have a professional photographer there and videographer there documenting everything. They're also fat. So it's like everywhere you look, there's a representation of you. And not only that, it's a beautiful, empowering, uplifting representation of fat people. And I think for so many of us, the only type of representation of fatness that we see is a negative one. And it's so disarming sometimes to see fat people in a positive light and something that's often not spoken about is the internalized fat phobia that a lot of fat people have to work through because society tells us that it's okay to treat fat people poorly and so fat people will treat other fat people poorly you know and that's something that we need to work on and work through but at fat camp we're all empowering uplifting you know loving on each other and you walk away and you just feel like wow I was actually seen for the first time. Yeah.
3: Let's bring in Abu from
8: Sacramento into the conversation. Welcome to the show. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, um I just want to say that that I'm heartbroken but thank you guys for this topic. I'm not a plus size person, but any form of discrimination is bad. As a black man living here in the USA, I've also gone through some plenty forms of discrimination. And my heart goes out to these people. I, I, this is a great topic, and so I hope that every plus size person out there knows that you're beautiful. Knows that you know what is your brain that makes you beautiful, and is how could you make yourself slimmer when you're in an aircraft seat. I don't understand it. How could you even physically, possibly do that? It's just like telling a white person, be black today so you can socially fit in a a, a group or be white today so that you can go to this particular grocery store and not get stared down, that you're there to shoplift. Anyway, um, great topic.
3: Thank you so much, Abu. Thanks for that uh, call. Really, really appreciate that. I wanted to get to uh, a couple of comments. Um, Megan tweets, glad you're covering this. I'm fat and travel to do outdoor activities and appreciate your guest mentioning weight and size limits for equipment. Also frustrating is that active clothing is also often not available for large bodies. It can be hard to find winter gear, let alone wetsuits, ski boots that fit my calves, etc. Instead of renting equipment, I'll often have to get my own gear if it exists, like a rock climbing harness harness that's not wildly uncomfortable, which is impractical uh, and expensive and then you are is this one of these things that you are trying to solve by building community among fat people because they might know like okay well this is the wetsuit brand here's the rock climbing harness this is the ski boot place
5: so that's exactly one of the reasons i created fat girls traveling and i know jeff personally and i know tigris personally and i know that jeff has had to travel with his own wetsuit because of that Um, I've also shared the story of visiting Bali and going to the Bali swing, which is one of these these tourist traps that everyone goes to. And the harness wasn't big enough for me. And so after I stopped crying and stopped taking pictures of all my friends who could get on the harness and could get on the swing, I posted on Fat Girls Traveling and asked, has anyone else been to Bali and been able to use a Bali swing? And can we create a list of that inclusive Bali swings. And I was able to find like five different locations. I wrote a blog post and I also planned a group trip to Bali. And we all took pictures on a Bali swing that could hold up to 500 pounds. So it's mm-hmm. like sometimes being in these communities, not only help to inspire and motivate, but like they'll lead you into the direction to be able to find the thing that you need to be able to do the thing that you want. Yeah.
3: Listener Sarah writes, Do your guests have any suggestions for what individual fellow travelers in smaller bodies can do to help make the travel experience less stressful for people in bigger bodies? Tigress Osborne, the allyship question. What do you think?
2: The allyship question, I mean, one of the things that that people in smaller bodies can always do is choose to spend their money at the companies that support their fat friends, um, you know, whenever that's a possibility. When you're buying exercise equipment, do you, or, or exercise where, do you buy it from the company that only carries up to size one X, or do you buy it from the carry, the company that carries up to size seven X, even though you don't need a seven X, right? Um, advocacy in person in real time is really important. One of my favorite flying stories was witnessing another fat passenger who was the last person on the plane and was going to have to take a middle seat and seeing this woman just look at him and go that is, there's no way he should have to do that. I will move <laughs> so that he can have this aisle seat, right? Taking
3: you the middle seat. That's true allyship right take, there. That's
2: yeah. true allyship <laughs> and we all know it. Um, but it's like, you know, it, it's your your discomfort versus somebody else's actual pain, right? Um, there are, you know, just to, to be willing to speak up when you, when you see something happening that is discriminatory towards fat people. And then again, to support the passage of legislation that includes height and weight as a category that cannot be discriminated, discriminated against, um, you know, to follow that kind of legislation when you see it in your area or even to, to help work on it. You don't yeah. have to be fat to work on issues of s- social justice for fat people. Yeah.
3: And Richmond, let's close this out by tell us your most joyful, like your favorite travel experience.
5: I would say there's so many <laughs> because I just love You're travel.
3: a good traveler. I know. It's true.
5: I, I feel so nostalgic because I haven't been traveling because of this pandemic. But I would say one of my most joyful experiences would be that trip to Bali there. Um, and I had five other fat travelers from the fat girls traveling community with me on that trip. And there definitely were some negative experiences of people pointing or staring or people literally just lining up to try to take pictures with us because they had never seen fat people together. They had never seen six fat people together. So now they're just standing in line wanting to take pictures of us. And when we say no, they're sneaking photos of us. Um, But the most amazing thing about it was how much we bonded and like, were able to relate and still have a fantastic time, regardless of all the negative things that happened. Like, We had massages every day, you know, like we went to some of the most beautiful beaches in the world. We were able to take photos on a Bali swing. And I just love being in community and traveling with other fat people because there's so many things that are just understood and they they can go unspoken, you know? And so that is one of the most joyous uh, travel experiences that I've had because I felt like everyone could understand where I was coming from. I didn't have to ask, you know, oh, you know, can we slow down or can we do this? Or people could just see, okay, she's walking a little bit slower up this hill. We're all gonna walk a little bit slower up this hill and we're all gonna stay together. You know, like when you're in a community of like-minded people, so many things can go unspoken. And that is what makes the Fat Girls Traveling trip to Bali just one of my favorite experiences.
3: Tigers with our last uh, 30 seconds here how about you favorite most joyful travel experience
2: I went to um, I went to Sweden to perform on Sweden's Got Talent. Um, what? And- You've been holding <laughs> yeah. out on us. <laughs> I got to be- You can find it on YouTube. Just search Gunnar Holm uh, Sweden's Got Talent. But anyway, I went to Sweden to perform on Sweden's Got Talent and it was just really um, incredible to be in this space where um, you know, I was my 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 body was not looked at the same way, and probably because they just saw me as some like American, right? It was just that broad category of American. But I just I felt a few days of freedom from, um, from the kinds of judgment that uh, that I experience, you know, that I experience sometimes moving around the world. Here, yeah.
3: We've been talking about the joy and pain of plus size travel with Tigress Osborne, chair of the National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance, Annette Richmond founder of the Fat Girls Traveling Online Community and Fat Camp, a Fat Girls Traveling Retreat. And earlier we heard from Jeff Jenkins, founder of the Chubby Diaries Travel Blog. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with Mina Kim.